Okay, let's jump into the message. We are uh, in week three of uh, the final week series that we've been looking at. We've been kind of going through the final week of Jesus's earthly life before uh, as we kind of allowed this to kind of go into the Easter season. Obviously, we'll continue this series uh, next week and even the week after that. But today, we are going to be looking in just a moment at Friday. We started two weeks ago, and we looked at Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. And then yesterday, last week, we looked at Thursday. And so today, we're going to look at Friday. But again, I want to remind you, why are we doing this? Why is this important? This is the most important week of the most important person who ever lived. I mean, if there was something that we could look at and study, like I love history and I like to know things about history and all those sort of things, but this is one of the most important weeks ever. This week literally changed everything. And it's important that we know about it. It's important that we study it. Now, look, we're going to look at a lot of scripture today. So if you have your Bibles, get ready. They'll be on the screen as well. But we're going to look at a lot of scripture because a lot of things happened today on Friday. This is obviously what we would consider to be Good Friday. That's coming up this week. And so as I'm kind of excited because usually when we talk about these things, we don't, um, maybe we, we maybe some churches will have a Good Friday service or whatever. But I'm really excited about sharing this with you so that through this week, week and even leading up to Friday, you can be remembering this and looking at this and studying this. So let's, let's look at Friday together. We're going to be in Mark 14, starting with the 53rd verse and looking through 61. A little bit of scripture here, but let's look at it together. But, but first, let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for this time. We thank you for this opportunity to come and be together. Father, I pray that you would open our hearts to new things, things that maybe we, maybe we hadn't seen before, that your Holy Spirit would just communicate these things, that you would turn the diamond of your word ever so slightly so that we could see more color and more, more facets of you and who you are and what you have done for us. This is so important that we understand. We love you. We thank you. Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so if you have your Bibles, again, we're going to be in Mark 14. We're going to be in Mark a lot, but we are going to kind of look at Luke and John and Matthew as well. But we are going to spend a majority of our time today in Mark. So let's look at Mark 14, looking at verses number 53, and we'll start there. It says, Then they took Jesus to the high priest's home, where the leading priests, the elders, and the teachers of the religious law had gathered. Now, here's the thing. We talked about this in the first week. We could literally spend... I mean, ugh, we could go to Christmas going over the last week. There is a lot here. And so one of the challenges that I had was trying to figure out, okay, what do we cover? What do we not? And, and here's the thing. It wasn't that the things that we chose not to cover aren't vitally important. It was just, I feel like this is where God led us to be. So let me kind of give you a little bit of recap. Last week, we talked about the Passover. We talked about the Last Supper and all these sort of things. After that, the, uh, Jesus and his disciples left. They went to the garden and they began to pray. Anyway, and, and, and all those things took place kind of there. And then Jesus is arrested. Okay, His disciples flee at that point. They run. And now we kind of pick up the story where we are. So he has been taken to the high priest's home where the leading priests are and things of like that. So, you know, verse number 54. Meanwhile, Peter followed him at a distance and went right into the high, high priest's courtyard. There he sat with the guards warming himself by the fire. Inside, the leading priest and the entire high council were trying to find evidence against Jesus so they could put him to death. 
but they couldn't find any. Many false witnesses spoke against him, but they contradicted each other. Finally, some men stood up and gave this false testimony. We heard him say, I'll destroy this temple made with human hands, and in three days I'll build another made without human hands. But even then, they couldn't get their stories straight. Then the high priest stood up before the others and asked Jesus, Well, aren't you going to answer these charges? What do you have to say for yourself? But Jesus was silent and made no reply. Then the high priest asked him, Are you the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed One? Now, we're going to come back to that question later. Okay? We're going we're gonna to see that question kind of be answered later. But isn't that an interesting way to look at it? Here we have the situation, and, and as we go through the scripture together, I, I'm going to once again invite you to, to, to open your hearts and open your minds to the story and the pictures that, that, that I feel like are so important when we look at this story. And so here we are, Jesus has been brought in, he's been arrested, and now he's standing before these men who are sitting there, and, and, and I can only imagine how embarrassed they must be. I mean, here's these guys saying, oh, well, he did this. No, I don't think he did. Well, I think he did this. Or, and they can't find anything wrong with him. They, they, they're, they're mad, probably. They're frustrated. They're like, man, I really want to kill this guy. I mean, that's really where their hearts are. But they can't even get their story straight. And so finally, finally the high priest looks and says, are you the Messiah? Here's what that question really is. Are you God? That's the question that's being asked. Are you God's son? Are you the one who was prophesied about thousands of years ago? Are you the one? And here's the thing. That is one question that we all have to ask ourselves is who is Jesus? That is one question. You will not get away from answering that question. You can say, I don't believe he exists. I believe this is all la-la land and fairy tales. I don't, listen, hear me. One day, you will have to answer that question. And here's what's interesting about it. Scripture even tells us how you will answer. Do you know that? Scripture tells us that not only will you have to answer who this, who this Jesus is, but we already have recorded in Scripture your answer. Because Scripture tells us that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. So you can answer that question now or you can answer that question later. But hear me here, you're going to answer that question. And so here we are, we're, we're in this moment, you know, the, if, if it was a movie, you know, the music swells and it's all exciting. Are you God's son? Jesus answers in verse, 14, or verse uh, 62. Jesus said, I am. I am. Now here's the thing. You look at that and you go, oh, isn't, well, of course, that's, that's how he would respond. Isn't it interesting that Jesus responds the same way that God the Father responds to Moses? God the Father said, Moses, who are you? What is your name? Who can I tell the people that sent me who you are? What's God's response? I am. I love that. 
I love when scripture, how we see the connection between the Old Testament and the New Testament. How God brings it all together. Listen, listen, God is wonderful at putting all the puzzle pieces together. And I know at times in our lives, man, we look at our puzzle and we go, God, are you kidding me? How will all these pieces come together? Our God is very good at puzzles. And he can take all the pieces and put them together. So Jesus says, I am. And then Jesus goes one step further. And he says, and you will see the Son of Man seated in the place of power at God's right hand and coming on the clouds of heaven. Now, we're going to take a step back here for a moment. We're going to put a little humanity on Scripture because I think that's important that we understand that these were men, these were people that just like us that are going through this. And here's the thing. We hear that. We get excited. We're like, yeah, he is. That's right, Jesus. Yeah, woo! You know, we kind of cheer him on, all that sort of stuff. But remember, these guys hearing this don't believe that Jesus is who he says he is. So let's take a step and let's think about it. Let's think about it was you in that position. And there's a man, okay, let's just, let's just, let's just put it in today's uh, understanding, okay? After church is over, you go out and have a wonderful lunch. And then you say, oh, you know what? We got to stop by Target, pick up some milk or, or whatever you got to do this afternoon. And you walk into Target and there's a person there. And that person is sitting there and you go up to grab your milk. You open up the, the cooler, you, you pull it out. And there's a nice gentleman there. He says, oh, how are you? Oh, I'm fine. You know, how are things? Oh, that's fine. You know, can't believe how expensive milk is or whatever you talk about when you're eating your milk nowadays. And the guy looks at you and he goes, oh, just so you know, just wanted to mention this to you, you know, while you pick up your milk. But, 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 but I am God. I'm God. Now, I don't know about you. I don't know how quickly I would leave that area, but it would be pretty quick. I probably, I may not even get the milk. Okay? Jesus here is claiming something that we sometimes can miss because we're so accustomed to who he is. Jesus is claiming that he is God. Okay? Do you get that? He's God. He's not, listen, the question that we have to answer is very clear. Okay? We, we, we think about Jesus, and, and you think about him, and, and, and Jesus, you know, he's a good teacher. He's a very moral individual. Listen, I mean, I've, I've often said to people, listen, if you, if you don't believe in Jesus, but yet just live your life the way he showed us to, your life's going to be pretty good. Not perfect, but I mean, listen, bitterness is a lot worse than joy. You get what I mean? I mean, forgiveness is much better to live in forgiveness than not to. So, so, so we, can, we can understand who Jesus is in that. But it is a completely different thing when we say, no, 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 no. No, Jesus here isn't claiming to be just a prophet. He's not claiming to be a good person. He's not claiming to be a moral teacher. He is not claiming to be a miracle worker. He is literally claiming, I am God. We would think he's nuts. We would have thought he had lost his marbles. How do I know that? Simple. Because if it happened to us today, we'd do the same thing. So what that brings us to is a very interesting point, a very interesting place. Jesus is either who he said he is, or he is a raving lunatic. There is no middle ground here, folks. Okay? There is no middle ground. You cannot say, I want him to be a good moral teacher, but I don't believe he's the son of God. He claimed to be God. So either he is, 
or he's a nutcase. We try sometimes to answer that question of who Jesus really is by straddling the fence when Jesus in his word doesn't allow it. He says, this is who I am. If you are going to believe in me, you have to accept who I really am. So in this moment, there's this tension and there's this unbelievable, I mean, I mean, you know, you want to talk about just silence in a room. Well, in verse number 63, the silence is broken. So let's look at it. Mark 14, 63, it says, then the high priest tore his clothing to show his horror and said, why do we need other witnesses? Well, I would say you didn't have very good ones to begin with, but whatever. You have heard his blasphemy. What is your verdict? Guilty, they all cried. He deserves to die. Verse number 65. Then some of them began to spit at him. And they blindfolded him and beat him with their fists. Prophesy to us, they jeered. And the guards slapped him as they took him away. Most theologians and most scholars believe that this event takes place about 1 a.m. Friday morning. So Jesus here is brought before these men. He claims who he is. He speaks the truth. They can't find anything even wrong with him. And finally, because of his declaration of who he is, they say he deserves to die. So they take him from there. Let's continue in the story. We're going to now go to Luke. In Luke 23, we're going to look at verses 1 through 7. It says next, Then the entire council took Jesus to Pilate, the Roman governor. Now, for, for we need to kind of talk about this. Because of the situation, the political climate of the time, the Jewish people, because they were under Roman occupation and Roman rule, they could not legally put someone to death. Only the Romans could do that. Okay? So now they have, they have decided that he deserves to die, but they can't actually carry that out legally. So they are going to take him to the governor of the area, which is a man named Pilate. And so this is what they say. It says, they began to state their case. This man has been leading our people astray by telling them not to pay their taxes to the Roman government. Isn't that interesting? They started with taxes, okay? Some things never change, okay? And by claiming he is the Messiah, a king. Verse number three. So Pilate asked him, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus replied, you have said it. Pilate turned to the leading priest and the crowd and said, I find nothing wrong with this man. Then they became insistent, but, but he's caused riots by his teaching wherever he goes, all over Judea, from Galilee to Jerusalem. Oh, he's Galilean, Pilate said. When they said that he was, that he was Pilate sent him to Herod Antipas because Galilee was under Herod's jurisdiction and Herod happened to be in Jerusalem at the time. So let me continue. Oh, yeah, verse number, I, that's good. So, so let's kind of stop here for a second. We're not going to get into it too much, but Pilate has found nothing wrong with him. He's like, this guy's fine. You guys are probably just jealous or you got some other issues, but this guy's fine. Well, Pilate finds that basically there's another person that he can kind of pawn this off on, which is Herod. And so he does. He says, I don't want to deal with this. I don't have to deal with this out. You know, he pushes him away. So Jesus goes to Herod. It's in scripture. Herod basically wants Jesus to perform basically some, some miracles, some magic tricks. Jesus won't even give the guy the time of day. He basically won't even answer him. And so now he's sent back to, to, to Pilate. And that's where we're going to pick up the story here in Luke 23, verse number 13. It says, Then Pilate called together the leading priests and other religious leaders along with the people, and he announced his verdict. Okay? 
you brought this man to me, accusing him of leading a revolt. Okay? One thing I don't know about this, I've studied revolts in history. Revolts are somewhat easy to see, okay? especially at this time. And so he's going, listen, I don't know where you're seeing this revolt, but hey, I don't see it. Okay? I don't see it. He said, you, you claimed that this is the, I have examined him thoroughly on this point in your presence and find him innocent. Herod came to the same conclusion and sent him back to us. Nothing this man has done calls for the death penalty. So I'll have him flogged and then I'll release him. Then a mighty roar came from the crowd and with one voice they shouted, kill him and release Barabbas to us. This time of year, because of the Passover that was coming on, it was tradition for the Roman government to release one prisoner. And so they begin to call out for this man named Barabbas. We'll see a little bit more about him in just a second. And so they begin to call out. But here's, isn't it interesting what we see here? Pilate, who is the authority of that time in that place, it's not, it's not the, 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 the Jewish leadership. He claims something very interesting. If you were here last week, you, we talked about the idea of Passover. We talked about the idea of a spotless lamb that was used as a sacrifice and a substitute so that when the angel of death comes, that there would be a Passover of the people in that home. It's interesting to me that basically Pilate calls Jesus innocent. Completely and totally innocent innocent now we know him as sinless which he was but even more so we see this concept of innocence and we're going to see why that matters in a moment so now let's pick up luke 23 starting with verse number 23 it says but the mob shouted louder and louder demanding that jesus be crucified and their voices prevailed so pilate sentenced jesus to die as they demanded as they had requested he released Barabbas. We heard a little bit about Barabbas now. The man in prison for insurrection. He was actually revolting and murdered. And murder. But, they tur but he turned Jesus over to them to do as they wished. Listen, this is in your notes. I want you to get this because this is such a beautiful picture of the gospel and of the message. The innocent man was condemned to die. But the man guilty of insurrection and murder was set free. You want to talk about who Jesus is and what he did? You, you, you want to hand this out to somebody and say, man, I want you to come. And maybe they say, you know, I, I, I'm curious about church. I, I don't really understand Jesus. I don't understand what he did. I don't understand what, what this whole understanding of him is. It's real simple. It's real simple. Jesus, as an innocent man, was condemned to die. But the man who is guilty, that's me, of insurrection and murder, was set free. That's what Jesus did. That's what Jesus' mission was. You say, Aaron, I don't know. Have you really committed insurrection? Hey, I've rebelled against God probably this morning. We rebel against him every time. We say, I can do it my way, and I want to do it my way, and I know better than you. Jesus was very clear, although I haven't murdered someone physically, I sure have in my thoughts, in my mind. I am no better than Barabbas. But yet Jesus came and the innocent man was condemned to die so the guilty man, me and you, could be set free. So they turn him over to be crucified. Now let's go to Matthew 27. 
In Matthew 27, 27, this is what it says. Some of the governor's soldiers took Jesus into their headquarters. They called out an entire regiment. They stripped him, put a scarlet robe on him. Then they wove thorn branches into a crown and put it on his head. And they placed a reed stick in his right hand as a scepter. They knelt before him in mockery and taunted, Hail, King of the Jews. And they spit on him, grabbed the stick and struck him on the head with it. When they were tired, finally tired of mocking him. They took off the robe and put on his own clothes. And then they led him away to be crucified. They've beaten him. We know that Jesus was flogged. A lot of people, you know, one of the things that, as, as I was studying this, one of the things that a lot of people believe, and I do too, that, that Pilate, you know, before he was able to, or basically before he said, you know, let's crucify him, he said, I'm going to have him flogged. You know, he thought that would appease the crowd, mainly because a lot of times people that were flogged would die. They wouldn't survive. And so he was kind of like, hey, look, we'll flog him. If he dies, great, you know. And it wasn't enough. So he's been flogged. He's been beaten. Mark 15. So they take him out to be crucified. Mark 15, 21. This is a passerby named Simon, who was from Cyrene, was coming in from the countryside just then. Cyrene was basically North Africa, if you don't know. And the soldiers forced him to carry Jesus' cross. Let's stop there and we'll, we'll continue in just a minute, Monica. But, but a lot of times what we believe, and, and, and listen, I know there's some debate about this, and that's fine. It's, it's not a make or break thing. But a lot of times we'll see pictures of Jesus, uh, and especially in the Renaissance period. And he's carrying, um, it, it is back here, it's behind our screen. But, but you, you know, you, we know it all know what a cross looks like. And so it'll be Jesus kind of carrying that cross. What we've probably, is probably more likely is Jesus at this point wasn't carrying the completed cross. He was basically carrying the cross beam on his back. Um, that could probably easily weigh over 100 pounds. And so when someone was crucified, they were literally taken out of the city. We'll see where in a minute. But taken out of the city and, and, and crucified. And so a lot of people believe that probably the, the, the beam that went up and down was probably already there. But Jesus is carrying that, that cross beam across his shoulders. And, and remember now, it, it's, he's been up all night. He, he hasn't had anything to eat, probably hasn't had anything to drink. I can't imagine him getting anything, anything to drink either. And so he's been whipped. He's been beaten. He's been, he, he, is, he is a physical wreck. And now they put a 100-pound beam over his shoulders, and they say, you got to carry it to your own execution. We're going to look at this in a minute, but so, so he's carrying this cross, and at some point along this, this, this journey, Jesus' body just fails him. And he stumbles, and he goes down. So now let's pick it up, kind of in the middle there, verse 21. Thanks, Monica. So, so the, the soldiers forced him to carry Jesus' cross. Simon, and this is interesting, we're going to get back to this in a second. Simon was the father of Alexander and Rufus. And they brought Jesus to a place called Golgotha, which means place of the skull. Isn't it interesting that, that we have this little, this little, you know, like, who? Simon was the father of Ruf, Alexander and Rufus. Like, like, have you ever thought about that? Like, why, why, it is, why does John Mark add that? Okay? Why is that there? 
and I think this is really interesting and very cool to understand. You see, John Mark wrote Mark from the perspective of Peter. You know, when you read Mark's words, you're reading Peter's words, basically. Mark dictated what Peter said. And the book of, of Matthew, or excuse me, the book of Mark was written somewhere between about 50 AD and 60 AD. And it was specifically written to people in Rome. It was written so that Romans could read it and accept Jesus. That was the audience, which is very important when we understand the context. So here in this story, as Peter is sharing these things, he says, listen, as this is happening, as Jesus falls, Simon is there. And oh, don't just so you know, Simon's sons are these two people, Alexander and Rufus. Did you know we see Rufus appear again? Look at Romans. Romans 16, 13, greet Rufus, whom the Lord picked out to be his very own. The book of Romans was a letter wrote to the Roman church. Now listen, we don't know for sure, but wouldn't it make sense? Wouldn't it be just like our God to say, listen, you have any doubts? You want an eyewitness account? Go down the street, take a right, take a left. They're on Maple. Knock on the door and go talk to Rufus because his dad saw it. His dad experienced it. His dad was there and carried it. So we specifically have someone that in the time they could have gone and knocked on the door and said, listen, tell me. Listen, I got a question for you. Listen, I know with these things, you know, we kind of have been knocking on doors to an extent. We've been knocking on our neighbor's door and saying, you know, hey, here's who Jesus is. But I got a question for you. If it, if it was reversed, if it was switched and somebody was knocking on your door and said, listen, I need to know. I need a firsthand account of who Jesus is, what Jesus has done for you. How would you answer? Because each and every one of us are called to be ready to give an account and give an answer of what Jesus has done. I promise you, if this Rufus is the same, he got knocks on his door. Tell me the story again. Tell me about how your dad reached out. What did Jesus say? What did he do? What did he feel? All these things, I guarantee you, if it's the same person, they wouldn't want it to have known. There are people in your life that God has placed there that are just as hungry, just looking for who Jesus is in your life to hear about your personal experience with the Savior. We need to be ready to give an account. We need to be ready to share those things. Let's continue now. Let's go back to Mark, Mark 15. Then the soldiers nailed him to the cross. They divided his clothes and threw dice to decide who would get each piece. It was 9 o'clock in the morning when they crucified him. We, Mark is an interesting book because Mark kind of just hits you with the facts, you know. Mark just like boom, 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 boom. There is so much that have taken place in this really short amount of scripture. You see, the Romans didn't, didn't create crucifixion, but they perfected it. They had basically found the most shameful, most painful, most horrific way to die ever. Here's what's interesting about this. Maybe you knew this, maybe you didn't. But when they would crucify somebody, they had an issue. You know what their issue was? They couldn't figure out a word to describe the horrors of crucifixion. So they literally made one up. 
It's the word that we use today. It's excruciating. Excruciating. When you break that down, that word really basically means from the cross. Basically, Jesus was taken. The Bible says that he was nailed. A lot of times what they would do is they would use ropes as well, but they would basically um, take nails. And the hand at this time was, we usually think of the hand as basically here, wrist up. They usually thought of hand anywhere from here up. And so what people have come to understand through, you know, doctors that have studied this and, 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 and things they've even found as far as uh, documents is they would usually put the nails right about here in the wrist and that that was actually a pivot point. And there's a lot, there, I don't know if you know this, there's a lot of nerve endings in your hands and in your wrists right in this area. And so they would lay out the condemned to die. They would put the, the nails through that. They would put the nails through the feet. They would raise them up, put them in the hole. And, and, and that's where they would be. A lot of times crucifixion, and we'll see that Jesus isn't there as long, but a lot of times when people would die of crucifixion, they would, they would hang there for sometimes two to three days. As I was studying this, I, I found something out I didn't know, that, that, that the Romans actually did crucify women, but because it was so horrible, they would crucify them backwards because even the Romans could not handle the pain on the woman's face. What would happen in this situation is that basically, over time, the people that would die of crucifixion, they would die usually of suffocation. And kind of give it to you in kind of a visual way. So, so Jesus would have been nailed. He would have had hands out with a little bit of bend in the wrist through each wrist and then had basically one foot over the other. And they would usually put um, basically a piece of wood that he could rest his heel on. And because of the way that he would hang, he couldn't basically extend his, his chest out to take a breath. And so basically, if you were watching someone being crucified, you would watch them do something like this. They would, they would push up with their feet so that they could expand their rib cage so they could get air into their lungs. And then they would... And they would... And eventually, their lungs would fill with fluid and they would die. We're not going to talk about it this morning, but... After Jesus is dead, he's, he's crucified with two people to his right and his left. And there's a portion of scripture where they go to break the legs of the two criminals. The reason why they would do that is that would kill them. Because then they couldn't push up. They'd basically suffocate. So Jesus is sitting there. He's beaten beyond recognition. For you and me. Let's continue with Mark 15, 26. A sign announcing the charges against him. It read, the king of the Jews. Two revolutionaries were crucified with him. One in his right, one in his left. The people passing by shouted abuse, shaking their heads, or hand, heads in mockery. Ha! Look at you now, they yelled at him. You said you were going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. Well then, save yourselves and come down. Save yourself and come down from the cross. The leading priests and teachers of the religious law also mocked Jesus. He saved others, they scoffed, but he can't save himself. Isn't that ironic? 
they didn't even know what he was really doing. And they spoke out exactly what he was doing. He's saving others. So let this Messiah, this King of Israel, come down from the cross so we can see it and believe him. Even the men who were crucified with Jesus ridiculed him. You know the ironic part of that scripture that I've always thought about? He could have come down off that cross. He could have called 10,000 angels. He could have said, nope, it ain't worth it. I'm not doing this. You've mocked me one too many times. Because let's remember, not only is Jesus in that moment dying for you and for me, he's dying for those that are mocking him that are daring him to come off that cross. But you've got to understand this. Jesus could have saved himself, but if he had saved himself, he would not have saved you. And so he stayed there, hurting, dying for you and me. Matthew 15, 33 through 34. Let's continue on with the story. At noon, Darkness fell across the whole land. So let's remember, Jesus, in, in, this, in our kind of our timeline, about 1 a.m., he's going through the trial, and that continues, and then the beating. By 9 a.m., he's being basically crucified. Now we're at noon. At noon, darkness falls across the whole land until 3 o'clock. Okay? So now Jesus has been on the cross for, obviously, about six hours. Then at 3 o'clock, Jesus called out with a loud voice, My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Jesus, in this moment, he begins to quote Psalms 22. Psalms 22 is a psalm of David. Isn't it interesting that Jesus on the cross begins to quote a song? He's been called, just, just earlier in the week, the son of David. He, he, David was promised that through his line, Jesus would come. And now in, in Jesus is on the cross. He begins to quote Psalms 22. He's declaring that the fulfillment of that passage, both in its, in its agony and its victory, but in that moment, we see that Jesus begins to call out to his Father. In this moment, literally, we'll see in a moment, Jesus is just become sin for you and me. All the wrath, all the sin, all the rebellion, all those things are placed on Jesus. God pours it all out on his Son. And in that moment, when all that sin is there, God says, I can't, he, I'm too holy. He begins to pull away. And that fellowship, that trinity that we understand is broken for the first time and Jesus begins to call out. He begins to be in agony. But you've got to remember, Psalms 22 doesn't end with defeat. It ends with victory. But we have to understand where Jesus is at. We have to understand what Jesus is emotionally going through in this moment. He's not just dying in a physical sense. He's not just feeling that pain of, of the physical uh, things, but he's feeling the pain of his separation from his Father. Look at 2 Corinthians 5.21. Listen, it says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So that sin comes down. All the wrath, all the things. Listen, you need to understand something. I, I wish that there was this, there's a couple things in life that I wish I could get everybody to understand. Something goes wrong. Something happens that isn't good. And we sit there and we say, oh, God's punishing me. God's mad at me. No, no, no. It's all been poured out on his son. 
There is no wrath for you anymore. When you accept Jesus, all the wrath, all the death, all the things that were in the coming for you and for me have been put on his son. They're gone. They're gone. Jesus takes it all for you and me. Now let's go to John. John 19. When Jesus... Oh, I'm sorry. Let me go back, Monica. That makes sense if I go back. I missed one. Mark 15, 35, and 36. Is that there? Thank you. My fault. When some of those standing near heard this, I want to kind of bring it all together. They said, listen, he's calling Elisha. Someone ran and filled a sponge with wine vinegar and put it on a staff and offered it to Jesus to drink. Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elisha comes and takes him down, he said. Now let's go ahead and go to John. John 19. When Jesus had tasted it, he said, It is finished. Then he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. John is the only one that in the Gospels, and you remember Matthew, Mark, Luke, the synoptic Gospels, they're very similar in a lot of ways. But John, according to his Gospel, is actually there. He's there at the crucifixion. He's the only disciple that's there. He's there with, with, with the mother of Jesus, Mary, and others, some of the other ladies. But he is there, and, and he records that Jesus in this moment says, It is finished. It's a beautiful, beautiful phrase. It's what we usually look at, but I, I want you to understand what Jesus here is actually saying. You see, when you look at the original Greek and you understand the word for finished, the root word of that, the verb basically in that translation was a word that was typically written on receipts. It was written on receipts when, when basically the, when, when a debt was paid or fulfilled. So like you go to the store and you're like, okay, I need some bread, I need some wine, and I, but I don't have any money or whatever. And they say, okay, listen, I'm going to charge you. And they put you a little receipt, they give it to you, so you owe me, you owe me a hundred shekels. I don't know, you owe me a hundred shekels. And you say, okay, and so you wait a week or whatever, and you kind of get some money. You go in and you hand the, the receipt to the, the store owner, you hand the hundred shekels, and what he would write is that word, that verb, on your receipt, it was basically the concept that it was paid in full. Jesus didn't come and die just for the, the really, 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 really bad sins. When we accept him, every sin, every thought, everything that we've ever done, it doesn't just get sort of paid. It gets paid in full. I have never experienced it. Maybe I pray and I hope that I will one day. But I, every month I pay my mortgage. And you know what? One day there's going to be a day where I'm going to get a piece of paper and a little, little certificate or something. I don't know. You know what's going to say on it? Paid in full. That's what Jesus did. When he's claiming it's finished, he's saying it's paid in full. But so many of us, we walk around with this idea that we still owe something. God paid it all. He paid it all. In that moment, in Matthew 27, let's continue, verse 51. When Jesus dies, when he gives up his spirit, he says, at that moment, the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two from top 
to bottom. You see, once a year, one man could go into the Holy of Holies where God's presence resided only once. And they would come in on this very special day called the Day of Atonement. And they would take this lamb that they had sacrificed and they would take the blood and they would basically sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat. The mercy seat was this idea of the, the Ark of the Covenant was the promise. Remember, we talked about it last week. Jesus is coming now to bring forth a new covenant, a new thing. And so they would go in once a year, one time, one guy, and he would sprinkle that blood out to, to basically atone for the sins of himself and the nation. And as Jesus here in this moment gives himself up, he's experienced all the wrath, all the justice, all the things that we as guilty people should have experienced. It's poured out. And in that moment, I could just see God taking his hands down and ripping that curtain in two and saying, no more separation. No more separation between me and my people. There's not going to be just one man one time a year. We can come boldly into my presence now, not because of how good we are, but because we have been made righteous because of what Jesus has done. The sacrifice once and for all has been given. The payment has been paid in full. And now we can have an intimate, close relationship with our Father because of what Jesus has done. That curtain was ripped in two. Let's finish up in Mark 15. Mark 15, 39. When the Roman officer who stood facing him saw how he died, he exclaimed, this man truly was the Son of God. The worship team come up. Remember, we talked about this beginning. I said, there's a question that has to be asked. There's a question that all of us have to ask ourselves. Who is this Jesus. Is he just a good teacher? Is he just a moral man? Is he just some historical figure that, that some guys lied about and turned him into something greater than he really was? Who is he really? It's in your notes. This Roman officer answered the question correctly. Jesus was more than a good person a historic figure, a great moral teacher, and a miracle worker. He was the Son of God. So many of us, we want to answer that question, but we don't always want to answer it in the way that it demands an answer. We want to straddle the fence. We want to keep it, you know, we we don't want to, We want to be able to kind of do what we want to do, but still enjoy maybe some of the things that that God offers. And so we'll say, hey, you know, maybe I'll live in this way, but you know what, this this little section of the Bible, that's that's, that's a little much for me. You know, like, I get it. Yeah, I think it is probably good to forgive. I'll, I'll try to forgive people that deserve it. You know, people that are really sorry. But, you know, if they're just jerks and they're not, it's not I don't, no. I don't have to. Well, listen, here's the deal. If God sent his son and he died for you and me and we believe that, 
we believe that he is God, we do have to do it. We're bought with a price. We're not our own. God is Lord. Jesus is Lord and Savior. And I know that sometimes that that's not always easy. I know in our culture, in our world today, we have fought very hard against that concept of ultimate truth. But Scripture teaches us that Jesus is truth. And here's the thing. Some of you may be here this morning or online and maybe you kind of understood a little bit about the story, the gospel, you know, okay, I, I get it, Jesus died, I mean, but what does that really mean? What does that, how does that really affect me? Last week, as we talked about the idea of Passover and, and the idea that death was coming, that every single one of us deserve death. Scripture teaches that the wages of sin, our payment for our actions is death. But look at Romans 5.8. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Can I just have everybody's head bowed and eyes closed just, just so we can focus? Even if you're home and you're online, same thing. Because, look, home can be pretty distracting too. And I want us to take a moment to really examine our lives. You see, a lot of us, we, we, don't, we don't believe the verse in Romans. We don't really, really believe Romans 5.8. And what I mean by that is, we think we got to get better and got, get less sin before God will accept us, before Jesus will, will, will be willing to forgive us. That's not what Scripture teaches. We're loved. We love Him because He loved us first. And because He loved us first, God sent His only Son. Not, not when we were doing the right things, but when we were doing the wrong things. And he welcomed us home. You see, remember, Jesus could have come down off that cross. But he didn't. And he didn't. Because he wanted to save you. He wanted you. You say, Aaron, but, but I've messed up. Yeah, yeah, I know. Jesus knows it all. Okay? He knows every mess up. Every screw up. Every wrong thing said, every wrong thing done. And he stayed on that cross anyway. He could have come down, but he didn't. Because he wanted you. So this morning, maybe, maybe this is new to you, maybe it isn't. But I would even encourage those that may have heard this story a lot of times to really examine your life. There may be people here who have been in church a very, very long time. 
they know when to stand up, they know when to sit down, they know, how, they know the lingo, they know it all, but, but they haven't really truly surrendered their life to Jesus. Listen, one day God's gonna, we're all gonna stand before. Remember that question we're gonna answer? And, and, and the question is not going to be, were you a good person? Should we try to be a good person? Absolutely, but that's not the question. The question is not going to be, how was your church attendance? Should we be a church? Absolutely. I think it's vital to our relationship with each other and with God. I think it's very, very important. But that's still not going to be the question. The question is going to be, did you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord? That he is who he said he was. Did you accept my forgiveness for your sins? That's the question we're going to have to figure out and answer before God one day. And so this morning, it's really simple. I just want to ask you that question today. It's much better to answer that question today. Because today is the day of salvation. And listen, even for those that feel like, you know, I've, I've done this, I've heard this. Even for us, even for you. I want you to take some time. Open your heart. And let the Spirit speak to you. Have you really, truly accepted Him? Maybe you have in the past, but your life is just not matching up. Maybe today it's time to kind of recommit that. Maybe it's time to say, you know what? I need to change some things. I need to be better in some areas. We need to open our hearts for that too. But whatever it is, we want to let God do that in us and through us. So here's what we're going to do. John and the team are going to come and they're going to lead us in a quick closing chorus. And I'm going to ask that, that you don't worship at this moment with, with song. But just as the music plays, you open your heart and you let God reveal some things to you. Because after that, we're going to come back and we're going to have a talk and we're going to pray. And I want you to be ready. All right? So, Father, speak to us. God, make us be willing to open our hearts to what the Spirit desires to say to us in this moment. We love you.
Let's all stand, please. The scripture, the scripture teaches us that if we believe in our hearts and confess with our mouths. So there's two, there's two parts of this that are very important. And so here's what we're going to do. I don't tell my wife one time that I love her. I, I try to tell her it a lot. So you may say, Aaron, I, I've already done this. I've already accepted Jesus. I've already communicated these things. Hey, listen, there is something still powerful, even though you've already been saved, to stand again and make that statement of faith, to make that statement of truth, to hear yourself speak it. So for those that never have, I'm gonna ask that you repeat after me. For those of you that have, I'm gonna ask that you repeat after me. For those of you that are sitting in your living room or in your car or wherever you're at, I'm gonna ask that you repeat after me. We're going to proclaim who Jesus is, not just in those who are doing it for the first time, and not just for those that are recommitting themselves to God, but for every single one of us, all right? Let's proclaim it together. So pray after me. Father, I love you. I know you sent your son for me. And so Jesus, if I never have, or if I need to recommit myself to you, I believe in my heart and I am confessing with my mouth that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus is my Savior, that I need to be rescued. And I know the only one who can rescue me is the one who died in my place. Jesus, forgive me. Jesus, cleanse me. Jesus, make me new. Jesus, change me from the inside out. I accept your forgiveness. I accept your grace. I accept your mercy. I accept your love. 
And I now know that I am a child of God, that I have been redeemed, that I no longer am my own, that I am a part of your family. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for staying on that cross for me. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. And scripture teaches us that when we pray that prayer and we mean that prayer, that the old has gone away, it's passed away, and behold, all things are new. So listen, if you prayed that prayer, if you prayed that prayer, you are a new creation. And I am so excited that you have come home and you have accepted the way. Oh. So, Father, we love you. We thank you for this time. We thank you for each one that's here, for each one that either once again just spoke out their belief and their trust in you, or those that for the first time, or those that may be recommitted. God, whatever we're at, we, we declare as a family and as a church that you are the Lord. You are our rescuer. And we love you. And we thank you for loving us. So Father, this week as we, as we turn a little bit more maybe than normal to this final week, as we get closer to Friday, and of course as we come back together to celebrate the fact that although you said it was finished and it was paid in full, the story doesn't end on Friday. Sunday's coming. And we will come back and celebrate you. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen amen. Listen, have a wonderful week. Make sure you grab some peeps on the way out. Help us love on these kids with snacks that are individually wrapped. If you have any questions about that, let me know. If you need to talk or you need somebody to pray with after the service, please come find me. I'm going to be up here to the left up front. I love you. Have a great week. We'll see you next week for Easter Resurrection Sunday.